0: Welcome to the All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley's Sermon Podcast. Today is the first Sunday after the Epiphany, and the Reverend Phil Brachard was preaching from the lectionary, which was Luke chapter 3, verses 15 to 17 and 21 to 22. As always, you can find more sermons or more information about All Souls on our homepage, which is allsoulsparish.org. Hope to see you around sometime. Us in a tender place. This past week, we endured the traumatic remembering of what was revealed about our nation a year ago in our country's capital, and just uh, just today. <laughs> Uh, Just being here or or not being here in person, it's hard to know sometimes what what the risks we take are faithful, are they foolhardy, and especially if you're a parent or you uh, know parents, (laughs) uh, we're quite apprehensive right now of this week to come of quarantines and cancellations and postponements. like what's, what's ahead of us in this week? And then alongside all of this, we come to this story of Jesus the Christ, and once again, we find ourselves with the crowds by the River Jordan, with a wild-eyed prophet and a voice of joy calling out from heaven. And so this week I've been wondering, I've been sitting with this story and even in the space we're in, in this sacred story, I think there is some hope. And I found this hope this week in three places. In questions of longing, with the unquenchable fire, and in the place where form and function meet. But first, the questions. I've been really grateful this past week for the work of New Testament scholar Shively Smith because she holds up for us a really important word that you'll find in this text. And that word in Greek is prostokeo. And it means waiting, expecting, hoping, watching, waiting for something that is not yet known. Uh, We heard it earlier in the word expectation that we heard in verse 15 as in as the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah. And so I think the reason why I find it to be so helpful is because Professor Smith notes that often when the writer of Luke's Gospel and the Acts of the Apostles, that two books set, when the writer uses it, they put it in the hearts and minds of the collective. This is never just about one person, as in the groups of people that are there by the River Jordan, or those who follow Jesus of Nazareth, these groups always have questions. And sometimes these questions um, are accompanied by feelings of fear, sometimes by feelings of hope. But the questions of these groups always come with a sense of longing. And in this morning's text, it feels like we might have all of them, all the feelings. Because in our gospel passage from Luke, we just heard, we find this group of people gathered by the River Jordan. And they've heard John's uh, challenging teaching, one that resonates very truly. And so they're filled with this longing, this wondering, this expectation. And it's palpable enough that John can sense what's on their hearts as they wonder, could he be the one? Could he be the one? And so to me, it's this question, or actually the act of questioning that is so critical for us right now. Because in Luke and and Acts, whenever the crowds ask questions, even when they come from a place of fear, Professor Smith reminds us that this is actually not a sign of unfaithfulness. In fact, in the narrative arc of this gospel, and I would say in the Christian life, Christ Questions of longing have a very clear purpose. Because it's in the questions, it's in the wondering, it's in the searching that we seek God here and now. And the questions lead the way. And so it's my sense that we are actually supposed to identify with the crowd and its questions and ask questions of our own. Questions maybe like, where is God in this world, as uncertain as it is? Where is God in my life, in all of the tumult? Where can I place my trust? Next, that unquenchable fire. Now, unquenchable fire is not always a go-to place for hope. And my guess is that you have heard this text before and you... You're like me, you've heard this text presented as a binary proposition. You are wheat or you are chaff. You are gathered into God's granary or you're burned in the fires which never end. And there's some reasons why you might see it this way. Because, well, this is the way the text has been read loudly and often. but I actually don't know that that reading holds water. Remember, in this gospel just a few verses earlier, the tax collectors and the soldiers have gathered there by the riverside, and they were the ones who were notorious for their odious complicity with the empire. But they are convicted by John's teaching And so they ask him what they should do. And what John doesn't say is, eh, don't worry about it. You're going to be burning forever. No. In fact, what John does is he tells them to change their hearts, to amend their lives. So what if the the burning of the chaff isn't about a final judgment but is instead about removing the things that prevent us from turning anew to God. Perhaps that's what repentance is. Remember that this act of clearing a threshing floor, there was this heap of wheat and you'd take something like a pitchfork and you would pick up a pile of it, and you toss it in the air, and the, the chaff was the part of the plant that was unusable, and it would be blown away on the wind, but the, the wheat kernels that are dense, they drop to the ground. And so I wonder if repentance is a willingness Toss our lives, to toss ourselves up into the air, trusting that the chaff, the parts that are no longer needed, that, that can get in the way, that aren't fruitful, that we can let them go. So what is it that you want to let go of? As you seek a new way, maybe it's the possibility of finally forgiving someone or of being forgiven. What might you need to let go of, trusting that it does not need to fill up the space within? Finally, the the meeting of form and function. When Jesus himself comes to the river and is baptized, something remarkable happens. As he's praying, something that uh, takes the shape of a dove settles on him and a voice is heard. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Now, I may be alone here, but I don't often use this phrase, with you, I am well pleased. It just doesn't roll off the tongue. And so uh, I wanted to learn more about it. And it has to do with the kind of joy or the kind of pride that is known when form and function come together in a way that delights and pleases. It's a a fullness that we know when a deep and personal longing is met. And in this story, it happens when the Holy Spirit settles on Jesus. And he is who he is supposed to be. And God is thrilled. What if that's the wheat? Not one person being the wheat instead of another. But instead, what if the wheat is those places in us that are known when our particular form meets the function we are to fulfill from God? What if regardless of the chaos of our lives, or maybe especially in those times of incredible stress and turmoil, what if those were the very times when we are to let go of the chaff, the pride, the fear, the need to control, and trust that God is pleased, overjoyed, filled with pride when we trust who we are supposed to be. If you could trust that this were true, what would you long for? If you could trust that this were true, what would you leave behind? If you could trust that this were true, what would you do?